0: Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Imagining cyber podcast. I'm Stan Wisman, joined with my co-host, Rob Orego. Hey, Rob, did you happen to see that announcement from, I guess it's joint announcement from the FBI, CISA and the NSA saying that it, it certainly looks like China state based threat actors have been in our critical infrastructure for the last five years. They're trying to say, don't, don't panic. But at the same time, it's like, oh, crud. This is not good news.
1: Yeah, it's not good news. I did see that. You know, I can't say you're that surprised, but, you know, th- it's concerning. And It's don't panic, really. Like, let's, let, 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 let's get our arms around this stuff, right?
0: Time, time to go to the grocery store and uh, buy some cans to put in your basement. Oh, um, the
1: bunker's almost done, so I think I'll be okay.
0: You know. so, so one of the most critical infrastructure sectors is finance, and that's what we want to focus on today. Ram, our guest is Felix Asari, and Felix is a seasoned cybersecurity leader, notably having served as the deputy CISO for Allianz and Putnam Investments, uh, as well as having participated in executive programs at Carnegie Mellon University and Yale School of Management. It's great to have you on with the podcast with us, Felix. To start things out, it'd be great to have your perspective on just what is the financial sector uh, and sharing that with our listeners, so as we get into our conversation. You know, they have an understanding at a broad level what it is. And can you elaborate as to why it's so appealing for the cyber criminals to actually target?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, financial services sector is basically any of us, let's just go back to the basics. Basics is whatever we do, we we are using money, whether it's someone who's saving the money, someone who's providing the money. The person who's providing the conduit for us to use the money whatever it is that's what really the financial services sector is about now what that also means is just like the old adage goes follow the money everybody wants that money so whether it's go i mean who wants to go to the bank right now go to try to go rob the bank it makes no sense (laughs) but if i can sit behind my computer And you know, buy a software for a dollar, five dollars, however much it is, and try over and over and over and over again with hopes of not getting caught. Why would that That seems to me like a better option than to try to go, you know, find guns or whatever it is to try to go to the bank and go rob, and only to find out there's no money there, right? So that's really where we are right now. And the appeal is, think about it. Then, everything is constantly changing. Now, at first, we used to all carry cash. Rob, Stan, I don't know the last time you carried cash, but I'm traveling. I'm on the road right now. And I don't even have any cash. Right. If you, if you met me and you try to take my money, what are you getting? You're getting nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But if you did get, let's just say my credit card or even my wallet, whatever is in there, just that information alone can turn into money. And that's where the appeal comes from. So it's not just about getting that physical money to transfer, but also the information surrounding that. That's, that's what makes the big difference.
1: Yeah, all the account details, right? The information from there that I can take off of that individual and scam them for other things in the future, right? Now, Felix, you know, Stan talked about it. You just mentioned it's financial services industry has been the number one target for the longest time, right? It would be interesting to get your perspective on, you have been in this, this space for quite some time as well is, you know, what, what are some of the areas that you're seeing that have actually made a positive difference over the past several years? You know, whether it's it's process improvement, you know, different capabilities, awareness. I mean, what, what do you think is really helping to drive? Maybe it's regulation. I don't know. But what, what are you seeing over these past few years that's kind of starting to make that positive impact?
2: Yeah, I think, see the approach that I look at when I think about what financial services, like what has made us really different right now is really and I think most people will not agree with me. But if, without that, I'll still say, hey, pause it and think about it for a second. It's the regulation. Look, Rob has this money. He's worked so hard. He comes in, he uses your services, and there's nothing really requiring you to protect his money. I, I, was in, I was in New York, stopped at a gas station. All I did was swipe my card. 15 minutes down the line, I see 15 different charges. Mm. You know, when I'm there, They said, hey, Felix, no, we, Mm -hmm. hey, sir, of course, they didn't know my name. Hey, sir, we will do all the swiping for you. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, It, it makes it easy, right? Now I don't have to do all of the extra stuff. No, that's where regulations come in. I cannot require them to do every single thing they need to do to protect my information. However, the regulatory bodies that are out there can do that. And that's what makes that. I think that's really made the biggest difference in our services up until now. Someone having that oversight to say, hey, if you are going to take my payment and card information, you better make sure you are doing just the bare minimum. And it, it's not overly at the top. It's just saying, do these the bare minimum. And, you know, over time, I think a lot of people just, it's like having homework and assignments in school. Just go home. Do the bare minimum, come in, you will pass. If you want to be the overachiever, like what we are doing in our industries or like in some of our companies right now, then that's a whole different story. And that's, that's where, that's, that's been the, my viewpoint on this.
0: Now, now we've, we've covered in the podcast, Felix, a number of different regulations. And certainly in the financial sector is, is one of the most highly regulated industries. Yes. But I can't, I mean, we've also say, and I believe strongly that, Compliance does not equate to security, and so it can be a driver for change, and, and certainly, as you're, you're pointing out, helping establish that minimum bar. But in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily – I mean, standards lag. Requirements reg- from regulators lag what's happening in the threat landscape today. And so it's, it's hmm. one of those things that, as far as a strategy for those in the financial sector, they have to also include a, a risk-based approach as well, right? Just being compliance alone, I wouldn't think would be adequate for what really is needed.
2: Yes, absolutely. So the, I think when we go back to what the question really is, if Ralph or Stan, if I as an organization can say whatever my clients, data that I am taking from them. I am taking a risk-based approach, I'm looking at the risks that are, you know, associated to whatever information I'm taking, and I am going to do my very best to make sure that that information is safe, we will be fine. The challenge is, when we think about regulations, like what I'm bringing up here, I'm not saying when you, when you follow all these regulations, it's the, you know, it's the holy grail, it makes everything better. No, it's just to say, let's work together. You say you are doing what you need to do to make sure that the customer's information is safe All right. Well, we will also come in with these other standards and make sure that we are in, you know, we are in agreement. That's basically it. And let's work together to do that. That's all. I mean, if
0: you, if you take a risk-based approach, hopefully you can also then demonstrate compliance as well to the regulations.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's really the key. That's one of the things we talked about quite frequently is, is. Using compliance, you know, the regulations behind driving compliance as a way to better mature your cybersecurity programs overall at the end of the day, that's what you want to do. Felix, I want to pivot a little bit into talking about more of the software supply chain a bit. And I I want to go there because financial services obviously have really become much more of a digital-based type of business, just like many other organizations and verticals have, Uh, but especially in financial services, fintech and things of that nature, you know, very much kind of leading the way. A big aspect though, that threat kind of increased threat is around the supply chain, right? And so look at it from that software supply chain perspective and how it impacts negatively the financial operations potentially. Like what are some of the, might be control mechanisms, kind of, you know, the, the, the again processes, measurements that you've kind of assessed in the past that help you look at it from the software supply chain, you know, implications that you may have in dealing with not just internally, but of course, the third party is, is part of that equation.
2: Yeah, and thanks for that. Now, th- this is one of the risks that, and big threats that we've actually had to deal with. We, we had in one of the institutions I worked for, there was this attack where when we went down to the bottom of it, it, we were not even, it was not really directly targeted at us. The reason why the person or the group decided to do this was more because they felt the people that they are going against, we help them make more money. So by, just by that association, now we become targets, right? And the, the question is, okay, I can do every single thing in my power. Or our organization can do every single thing in our power to make sure that we are highly secured. Now, do we know what the next person that we are working with is doing? We cannot do everything on our own. We definitely have to part, And that's where the supply chain comes in. What is it that they are doing that ensures that we are all on the same level in terms of security? And in this specific instance, the reason why we had to deal with that incident was because they had not lived up to the standards of security that had been set. And our only saving grace was even though we had a backdoor to them because we wanted to have those transactions happen, we ensured that on our side, we have put extra measures in place that in case any data got anywhere, you know, didn't really matter. That was our only saving grace. So that whole supply chain is really, really, really a big deal. And being able to come back to recertify that every single time. And the other part that is more important to us is, well, if you're working in financial services, you definitely have, I don't even know if we we'll call them microservices, you definitely have a ton of vendors that you are working with because the 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 job is big. You have to, you know, kind of break it out and work with everyone, how do you keep an oversight on all of them? You really can't. So we, we have to employ third parties that do specifically that for us and give them specific ratings to kind of help us. Okay, hey, you know, we have this person A that had a rating of A because we know they were doing well. What well, we found in the news, this is something new that happened to them. Maybe you might reconsider and check with them to make sure they've resolved that. That's, that's basically the best that we can do.
0: So, Felix, another aspect of that challenge is around the open source software that's being used prevalently in our our applications nowadays. I mean, that's another thing you need to look into as far as the the health of that, you know, yes. open source project, you know, the the actual security of the code that you're ingesting into your your applications. So, I, I imagine that's another set of activities and processes you had to put in place to to mitigate those kind of threats from potential malicious or inadvertent and use of vulnerable code in your applications.
2: Yeah, for us, and I mean, everywhere I've been so far, open source has been something that we basically have to have probably like three different levels of approvals on to go open source route, just because it's kind of hard to keep track on exactly what's happening. And again, if it's once we take carry space up, for whatever it is that we are working on, if open source makes sense, sure, then we will go that route. And then, of course, do what you just said. But for the most part, it's been, yeah, we can go another route rather than open source. Not that it's wrong. It's great. If we can, sure. But if not, then we have to put specific processes in place to ensure that we accept every risk that comes with that. Gotcha.
0: Another, another area of interest for me is around the, the, this new thing of smart contracts. Right. I mean, again, further digitalization and and using languages like solidity for you know blockchain and cryptocurrencies uses and applications. And I I didn't know if if you have had an opportunity to explore the use of of this in in the in institutions you work for and whether or not put in place any measures to help control risk and you know what what kinds of uh, approaches to safeguard the integrity and security of smart contracts. Is, is you think, working?
2: Yeah. Uh, so especially when it comes to the whole smart contract space, yes, that there, there are, well, of course, there are several unique risks associated with those. And then we think about, we talk about like wallet security, smart contract vulnerabilities. I mean, those transactions can are basically irreversible, right? Uh, we do acknowledge that. I know there are regulatory frameworks that are coming. I haven't had a chance to actually look at all of, I mean, what is happening over there? Because it's not been my strongest suit lately, or I don't have to be working on that yet. But it, it still goes down to the best practices, just like we look at any security approach. What, what, what are some of the things that we can do? And are we doing something like cold, cold storage for crypto assets? Are we using multi signature wallets? And then the basics that we do in every type of security environment is whatever it is, do we go back in and then we audit it? Do we audit those smart contracts and our blockchain platforms that are out there? I don't think, regardless of what type of measure you put in place, if you don't go back and check to see if everything is doing what it's supposed to do, right. it, there's no point.
0: And we, we had another guest on talking about control degradation and just mm. the importance mm. of regularly testing your security controls that you think you have in place and are working, but they may... Have degraded over time, based to to changes being made or the changes environment.
2: And that that is that is a true statement. You know, one of and I, this is this has nothing to do with cyber. Even at home, right? We have all these cameras at home. And then one time, I I hadn't gone back to go check. It was actually when we had an incident in the mm-hmm. neighbor. And I went back to go check, and the camera was not working. Yeah, yeah. It's that continuous assessment, right? That's what it
1: comes down to. It comes down to. Felix, I, I want to get your, your thoughts on this because I know this is obviously an area of interest uh, for you and it, uh, you know, it's, it's the big term out there. Everyone's paying attention and trying to figure out different ways and how to apply AI right, to their cyber defenses. So what have you looked into? What are some interesting areas specifically as it apply, AI applies
2: to um, cyber defenses relative to financial operations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I think about AI, and I really love this topic, when I think about AI, it comes down to what are the benefits that it gives to us. Mm-hmm. It says a lot faster. It helps us to correlate to information quicker and reduce our incident response times 100%. Challenges that are coming up right now for us, really deep fake technology, it yeah. is in a lot deeper. And it's getting to the point where we're not going to be worried about how do we stop the fake technology, but we actually are probably even say zero in mobile on our zero trust strategies and say, because think about it this way, at first, when, uh, one of my organizations, I would, at first, you know, we would always do all these phishing campaigns, phishing trainings, and then we'll tell one of, part of the training was look at the typo, look at the English. It doesn't sound right. Right. Now, next Not to anymore. AI, <laughs> no, AI-based phishing attacks through the roof. Well, how do we prevent against that? That means we have to basically come back and reassess our strategies and also use the same tools to be able to decipher. And another part that I don't think people are looking at is a hallucination. One of the issues that I see, even though we're talking about the benefits of what AI can do for security, uh, I like talk about this part that a lot of people don't look at is the hallucinations. Now we are getting so dependent on it. Hey, I can correlate all of these data in a short period of time and I get information that I need. But what if the data is not right? At first, when I was a human doing it, I would only look at 10, 15 incidents at a time. Now I'm looking at 30, 40, 50, 60 incidents in a minute. What if the data that the AI tool is using is actually not right? How am I solving that? So these are all questions that are going on. Yes, it's making a great change. Yes, there are amazing things that are coming to, with that but also other things that we need to be concerned. in. Hopefully that answers your question.
1: It does. I and mean, you're, you're absolutely right. The you know, hallucinations, the, the data sets themselves, AI poisoning, like there's all these different things we have to think about. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a major proponent of let us ensure that we're using the tools and we're going to continue to learn. We're going to make some mistakes along the way, but we can't slow down, right? Being, being able to take advantage of the efficiencies you talked about that it can help us with and you know, just be cognizant of what actually we're working with for that set of data. Don't always trust the information you're getting, do another kind of check on top of that. So I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, we gotta keep moving very quickly. And you, you still have kind of that human element in there to be able to validate it's accurate.
2: I, I saw a tool three days ago with that deep fake technology, your voice, your everything, 98%. Yeah,
1: Felix, thank you for coming on. Really great insights on your background, obviously in the financial sector, focused on cybersecurity. Some of the new things to take a look at, you know, we're all looking at AI, as you just discussed. So we really appreciate having you with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks, Felix. Hello, producer Ben here, and Robin Stan's discussion with Felix touched on the issue of software supply chain security. That's come up a few times in Reimagining Cyber. For example, in episode 36, entitled The Software Angel of Death, which featured John Keane. Now, not only did he talk about securing the supply chain, but he was also passionate about the importance of language.
2: What we need is a good definition, human understanding of what is a weakness. And we have to add that to our vocabulary. The purpose is, you know, how can you possibly ask someone a non-IT business Okay, to implement the president's executive order on cybersecurity if you don't understand what they're trying to do.
1: So as John Keane implies, words are best when chosen carefully. And that's worth bearing in mind when you come to write a review for Reimagining Cyber
2: on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.